The psalm we just sang, Psalm 89, describing the, the Lord as king, continues on to speak of how David was anointed as king. As we were singing, I was reminded that I was going to explain in cha- uh, stanza four. It says, proud Rahab you have crushed, its carcass you have shattered. Rahab was a reference uh, to the nation of Egypt. So when they speak, when we sing of Rahab in the Psalms or sometimes in the prophets, you read of Rahab, that's talking about Egypt, how the Lord uh, completely defeated the Egyptians when he led the Israelites out uh, as his chosen people. Well, now uh, turn to the Heidelberg Catechism and read together uh, the Lord's Day 19. That's on page 533 in the Book of Praise. This afternoon I preach you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in this Lord's Day. Here we confess. Why is it added and sits at the right hand of God? Christ ascended into heaven to manifest himself there as head of his church through whom the Father governs all things. How does the glory of Christ, our head, benefit us? The answer, first, by his Holy Spirit, he pours out heavenly gifts upon us, his members. Second, by his power, he defends and preserves us against all enemies. What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? In all my sorrow, and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's good once in a while to see the big picture. And we can do this by considering what our speck of a planet in the whole universe looks like from the perspective that the Lord gave to Job in answer to his complaints. And you can read about that in the last chapters of the book called Job. If you think the activities of people on the earth look small and unimportant when you're standing on a mountaintop or maybe flying over a city in an airplane or perhaps looking at the globe from the camera on a shuttle that's orbiting around in space, imagine the view from God's throne in heaven. We see little parts of the puzzle pieces, but he sees the whole scene as a whole. We feel so out of control of much of our lives. He has it all in his hands as all things work together exactly according to his eternal divine plan. The Lord is preserving and governing all things by his providence. And our Savior, Jesus Christ, has ascended into heaven in our flesh to rule with him over all things. 
And since everyone who believes in Jesus Christ is part of his body, we can be sure that we have a very special and important place in this universe in the plan of our God. And brothers and sisters, then, this afternoon, let's just let the news and the social media and the anger and the fear and the despair, let's just let's let it melt away at least for a little while this afternoon. Let's take a deep breath and sigh. Let's lift up our heads and look with the eyes of faith to the eternal throne of God in heaven where the Savior who unites us in the one faith is seated on his throne. The exhortation to endurance in Hebrews 12, which is also the family visit theme, is based on the gospel I proclaim to you this afternoon under the theme, Hebrews 12, verse 2, Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And we may rejoice in his glory, his authority, and his headship. With his glory, we're looking specifically at the fact that he is seated, he is seated. Second point is authority, that he's seated at the right hand. And the third, that he is our head. If you use the Apostles' Creed as a schedule, like a schedule, you will notice that right now, today, 2021, we are living during what is referred to as the session of Christ, the time period between Christ's ascension into heaven and his return on the clouds. The Son of God has already come down to earth. He has already endured the shame of the cross he has already defeated sin, death, and the grave. He has already paid for our sins and prepared a place for us in his Father's house. And that's why the countless myriads of saints in heaven are crying out with a loud voice like we read in Revelation 7, verse 10, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. By sitting down, the Lord Jesus, whom John saw in glory as the victorious Lamb, made it clear that his suffering and his sacrifice were over. He said, it is finished, and then our Lord Jesus entered his blessed rest in heaven. This was the rest that the Lord Jesus promised to all who come to him in faith, who depend on God's grace rather than their own works. And you can think of Matthew 11 when he said, Come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden. Or Hebrews 4 that talks about that rest that Jesus Christ entered into. He is seated on the throne in our flesh so that you may know that he has truly obtained peace with God. And his name is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's the first thing we see when he's seated on the throne. It means it's, his work is done. He has obtained the rest. By sitting down, our Lord Jesus also makes it clear that he is a king. In Deuteronomy 17, when God was giving instructions for, uh, for, the, for the kings that he would appoint over the Israelites... He made it clear that the authority of a king was made public when he sat on a throne. 
In the passage we read in 1 Chronicles 29, we could see that it was when Solomon sat on the throne that he manifested himself as the king the Lord had chosen to sit on his throne. It may happen from time to time that a king will stand up to show honor to a person he is receiving into his throne room. And you can actually read about that in 1 Kings 2 when Solomon stood up to receive his mother Bathsheba in order to show honor to him. You can read about our Lord Jesus the king standing up when Stephen saw him there again ready to receive his servant into his presence. But ordinarily a king sits down to show that he has the highest authority. Officers and military leaders, they're the ones who are standing up. They're the ones by, by the maps and the ones running around making arrangements according to the king's command. People who meet the king do not sit down in his presence, but they, they, they stand before him or maybe kneel. The servants in the throne room are, are on their feet, whether they're standing guard or getting snacks for the king. It belongs to the glory of a king to be seated. And that's why we confess that Christ manifested himself as head of his church when he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We see our king seated on his throne. And finally, by sitting down, Christ the king also revealed that he had been ordained to a permanent office in a kingdom that has no end. He, he sat down because he's going to stay there. David understood that the person who sat on his throne was really the representative of the Lord, to whom, says David, belongs all the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth. Well, Jesus received all that glory and honor and praise as we saw in Revelation 7. When the Son of God was seated on the right hand of God, he was exalted as head over all, the source of all riches and honor, in whose hand was given power and might. For it is in the Lord's hand to make great and to give strength. First Chronicles 29, verse 12. Christ Jesus our Lord, our Savior, is glorious forever because He is in the same place as the Father with all, with equal dignity and might and power. There is no power or authority that will ever be able to topple our Lord Jesus Christ. Though His enemies, Psalm 2 says, though His enemies are raging against Christ the King, He has dominion. From sea to sea, Psalm 72. And we rejoice in his authority. Now we look at Christ at the right hand of God. When the Bible talks about the right hand of God, it's using figurative language because God doesn't have a form or, or body parts or, or sides. Sitting at a person's right side became associated with being treated in a very special way. That is where kings and queens would ask their trusted friends and their advisors to sit. We can read in 1 Kings chapter 2 about King Solomon honoring his mother Bathsheba by standing up and then getting a seat to have it placed to his right side. 
When we read of Christ sitting at the right hand, it means that he was given the highest honor so that he might be the preeminent one, so beautifully revealed to us in Colossians 1, verses 15 to 18, a beautiful passage to read this afternoon when you get home. Sitting at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, Jesus reveals that the Father and the Son are one in authority, as he says in John 5. Your Savior who gave his life for you, and you could put your name there if you believe in Jesus Christ, your Savior has all authority in heaven and on earth right now. Now what does that mean that he has all authority, that he has authority? Well, the Lord once used a picture of a potter and clay to illustrate the extent of his complete authority. And so children, you can even picture this yourself the last time you played with clay or, or Play-Doh. And the Play-Doh or the, 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 Play-Doh or the clay was, was in front of you and you had complete authority over that lump of Play-Doh or clay. You could make it to be whatever you wanted it to be. A potter has complete authority over the clay. That means he can make it to look like anything he wants. And since he is the one who decided about what he would do, he would also never be wrong. So a child will show and say, this is what I made of the clay. And a parent will say, yes, that is what you made out of the clay. And so we only recognize the complete authority of Christ when we understand that he is the potter and we are the clay when we trust in his wisdom and his control so completely that we say to our king, you control all things. And therefore I know that everything that happens is part of your plan which only you are wise and capable enough to determine. We are like clay, he is the potter, and he is always right. Now children and teenagers and and questioning adults believe it is their duty to constantly question decisions by those made in authority over them. But that's impossible when it comes to God. With human authorities, there is a, a teamwork mentality. Iron sharpens iron since they are like us and are, live among us and they face the same uncertainties that we, are, we do and they're capable of making the same mistakes. But with God, whatever happens is the plan. And he doesn't consult us because it's clear that any disagreement or questioning is simply wrong. He is always right. That's what it means when we say that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. He can do no wrong. He is in control of everything in the world and and its events are the way they are because he made them like that. He is the final decision-making ruler, the highest judge in all eternity. That's what our Lord Jesus means when he says that the Father has given him authority to execute judgment, John 5, verse 27. We confess that the revelation that Christ is at the right hand of God 
also reveals that the Father is governing all things through Christ. In the ancient world, the man at the right hand of the throne was the one who was responsible for carrying out the king's orders and ensuring that his principles and his laws were in place. He was, in effect, the hands of the king who brought his plan to fruition, perhaps comparable to the secretary of state in a dictatorship or the highest chief of staff in a government office. He uses his authority to carry out the will of the king and does so as one who is in complete agreement with the king. Well, sitting, by sitting at the right hand of God, the Son reveals that He is the person in the Trinity who has been entrusted with bringing God's divine plan for everything in the universe that God, to the goal that God had determined. We confess that the Father governs all things through God the Son. This means that, that all God's decisions, government, administration, and judging they all take into account the work that Jesus Christ has done. He governs all things through Christ. He's always taking into account what Christ has done as he governs. He governs all things as they have been affected by the work of Jesus Christ. When he governs then, he doesn't just see the world full of, of enemies, but he also sees the new creatures in Christ who are citizens of his eternal kingdom. He sees the delight, the apple of his eye, his church, you and I. Revelation 7 verse 15 says that he who sits on the throne shelters those who believe in Jesus Christ, whose sins are forgiven by God. Our eternal king gives shelter to believers by keeping all who oppose him out by, with an impenetrable wall. And in the same way that the Father governs all things through Christ, so God will also judge all people through Christ. Read Christ will judge the living and the dead based on his work. And whoever has rejected Christ is not a part of his body, which is the church. Those are those that we confess will be cast into eternal condemnation as his enemies. That means the biggest question in this life is not what have you done, but whether or not you confessed your sins, repented, and turned to God through Jesus Christ. You see, he is the one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And if you are persisting in your sins, no matter how secret you think they are, or if you are living in hatred or bitterness or anger with no desire to seek reconciliation, today is the day to lift your eyes up to heaven and see who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The gospel message I proclaim to you today is that the same Savior who gave his life to remove the curse from us, he has the authority to take all his chosen ones, all those who, who believe in him, into heavenly joy and glory. He who is seated at the right hand of God is the head of his church. 
And we rejoice in his headship. And we rejoice with the words of Ephesians 1 in our minds that, that we read. Verses 19 to 23, they praise God for the immeasurable greatness of his power. They praise God for the working of his great might as this was displayed in the resurrection of Christ and the seating of, the, of our Savior at the right hand of his Father in the heavenly places. And then after stating the extent of his authority, Ephesians 1, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, the Holy Spirit reveals the gospel that our Lord Jesus Christ is head over all things to the church, which is his body. The Lord tells us that our relationship to Christ, seated at the right hand of the throne in, in heaven, is like a relationship between a head and a body. And children, you know how closely your head is connected to your body, right? Well, the relationship between Christ in heaven and the church on earth is very similar in many ways. In the first place, Christ the head is equipping his body, the church, to walk on the ways that he has set for us. It's just like the brain in the head that sends messages to equip the body for the tasks that it is busy with. Although his, his body, although our head is in heaven, Christ is in heaven, his divinity, his majesty, his grace, and his spirit are always with us. In Revelation 7, besides mentioning that our King is our Savior and that He shelters those who put their faith in Him, the Spirit reveals that the Lamb on the throne is also our Shepherd who is guiding us to living streams of water. That's a nice picture. A Lamb, a sheep, who is a Shepherd, but then one who is guiding us to living streams of water of water, our head guiding his body, the church. That's one of the benefits of the glory of Christ, our head, that we confess. He pours out heavenly gifts upon us by his Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, our King, guides us by his Spirit. He guides us by his word, the Bible that we can read and study. He guides us by the, the men he appoints as office bearers. He guides us by the spiritual leaders in our homes. He guides us from heaven in his grace so that we might walk before him in the midst of all our struggles in faithfulness and holiness, drinking from the living streams of water. In the second place, that connection between a head and a body means that, that if your head goes one way, your body goes that way also. The body always follows the head. When we believe in Jesus Christ, our entire identity is found in Christ as the head. And the church, as his body, are always included in whatever he has done, whatever he is doing. And we know that he will succeed in fulfilling his plan. We know that the head has all power in heaven and on earth. He's got immense power. We know that no government 
on earth can stop Christ Jesus the King. He will bring the universe to the fulfillment of all ages. And we, his church, will be there with him because we are his body, united to him by faith. We know that he is bringing us somewhere. We also know that we too will share in that heavenly joy and glory when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. If the head goes up to the throne, his body has to follow. As the text we saw displayed on the wall as we were walking in this afternoon or or gathering together, says Revelation 3 verse 21, The one who conquers... I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And brothers and sisters, let's keep our eyes focused up. Keep our eyes focused on the big picture. The name of our God is Yahweh, the one who is. I am who I am. He is before all things and in him all things are hold together. And Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, emptied himself and bore the punishment for for our sins. And now he who was before Abraham continues to govern all things from his seat on the right hand of the throne of God. He cannot be thwarted by one government. He cannot be thwarted even by all the governments in the world working together. He shelters and protects his body, the church. And when Satan tries to use diseases and other hard circumstances to to rip that body apart, whether it be through slander or gossip or malicious talk, we, we lift our eyes up to the king on his throne. He has all authority. He shelters his church. He protects his church. He loves his church very much. And his plan is always the right plan. And it's always good. And it's always what is best for his children. So brothers and sisters, again, let the, let the news and the social media and the anger and the fear and the despair melt away children, you can imagine, you look through the ceiling, through the clouds, through the blue sky, with the eyes of faith, and you see him there, your savior, your king, your judge, sitting on his throne at the right hand of God, and the peace of that glorious majesty above you, and he's observing you, and he's caring, and he's loving you. He's calling you. You too can sit on that throne. For you are his body. You're going to be okay in life and in death. Amen. We'll now respond by singing Psalm 45, stanzas 1 2 and 3. There are many psalms in the Old Testament that speak of kings and the ordination of kings and the promise that kings had. All